What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another Victory Monday edition of the Out of Structure Podcast and the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I know by the time you listen to this, it won't be Monday anymore, but we're still riding high from a pretty comfortable Chiefs victory. How you feeling, Ron? Victory Monday all around, Stags. Not only is it Victory Monday on the on Arrowhead Stadium's turf uh, when the Chiefs beat the Jags, but we got we got a victory in the sense that the Bills lost. We got a victory in the sense that the Chargers lost on Sunday night. And me and you here kind of kind of wrapped up and watched the, the Eagles lose too. I know it doesn't really affect the Chiefs in the uh, the AFC standings, but Still cool to kind of see all the the Titans of the NFL fall, except for one, and and it's and it's been the one Titan that's been there. Uh, it seems to be the longest by now. It's it's the Chiefs. Who who, who would have thought? Sacks. It seems thought? sacrilegious to call them the Titans after last week's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a, but, what a word. Yeah, what a word. But, yes, there. <laughs> how the mighty have fallen this week, except for the Chiefs. Uh, very well executed game. A really nice, clean victory over an inferior opponent, but not a bad opponent that the Chiefs face this week in the Jacksonville Jaguars. Just initial thoughts from the game. What are some of the things you really uh, – that are stuck in your head about this game? Well, you're right. I, I don't think the Jaguars are a bad team. Uh, I, I definitely think they were better than the record coming in at three and six. But they were in playoff desperation mode, and it started off right away, right? We saw some uh, – some, some, uh, an onside kick, you know, right out the bat. But that's the thing with the – and it continues to be a theme of this team, apparently. I, I wasn't expecting it, but – you know, the onside kick gets neutralized because the Chiefs defense steps up and, and, and forces a punt right away. They actually forced a stop on the first six drives of the game um, for Jacksonville, uh, held them to 414 on third down as well. Um, you know, just just and the Chiefs actually lost the turnover battle this game three nothing as, as well. And that just points to the defense also stepping up and not allowing those turnovers to snowball into to runs and making this game closer than it could have been. So. That, that just continues to be the thing, Stags. You know, I know the offense looked good, and we'll talk about it more, but this defense just gets it done somehow, some way. They just, they just get it done when they need to. Yeah, I was definitely impressed by the defensive side of the football this week. Those guys, yeah, they got stop after stop, and it, and it was really – it's really nice to see this young group step up. Even if not everybody's playing, you've got unsung heroes across the board. you got – three rookie corners all playing well. I mean, there's yeah. there's a lot to like about what the Chiefs did on the uh, the defensive side of the ball. But how about the offense, man? The the smooth execution of Patrick Mahomes, his evolution into this fully complete quarterback with a mastery of every bit of the offense from inside the pocket. Uh, statistically, obviously, just breaking every record out there. But watching him on the field is such a joy because – he'll still make those throws that you're like, how did, how does any person throw a football the way he did? And he had a couple of those this week, but also you noted that there were some check downs he was taking. There were some really yeah. smart decisions on time that kept this offense moving along. Yeah. It was similar to this performance against Tennessee, which I was very impressed by. I thought it was an MVP like performance, the way he willed them to the win against Tennessee you know, you mentioned the, the the checkdowns, you know, being patient, you know, not forcing anything downfield when the, the, the Jaguars or Titans aren't giving it to, you know, scrambling at times. He did it again on Sunday. But Stags, why did Sunday's game look so much smoother and easier than the Titans game? If, if they both were really good performances by Mahomes. 
what was the one common denominator about about uh or the, i guess the uncommon denominator about this game stag well what is it tell, why don't i, I, I would you? argue that it's the matchup i th- i think the titans are particularly there is something matchup. to that yes yes and, yeah. and the the physical brand of football the titans play yeah, versus right. the jaguars defense and, and offense both of which are more predicated upon speed but i know where you're going with this you're setting the table for the conversation about the chiefs running game yeah no exactly yeah i the chiefs run game finally shows some life i was i mean the tennessee game there was, it was completely dead you know zero heartbeats or you know zero you know it's it's completely you know the the long beep you know on on the uh you know at the uh at the t- at the uh in the hospital that was a terrible analogy but uh that's the thing though we we saw the run game finally do something i i think you saw why the chiefs the chiefs have really tried to hammer home isaiah pacheco getting the bulk of the carries and, and he got a, a very you know vast majority of the carries this game 16 to 17 tailback carries and he took advantage of them you know i know he had the early fumble right and it was very uh it was a vibe killer it was like oh my god this run game is really going to do this it is really going to be not only unimpactful but negative you know actually causing bad plays and then what's he do the next play and, and i love that andy trusted him to do it 13 yard gash on on the next possession Ends up with with uh, you know 16 carries, 82 yards for the game, over five yards a carry. Had a had I think three uh, carries over nine yards, and that's what you want to see. And I think that's why you're seeing Pacheco get forced the ball in these not force the ball, but you know force the touches in the running back group. It's because he is the most explosive player, and it, it finally bared out on on Sunday. Well, this is where I got beef with you, Ron, from last week. So no, I appreciate you all filling in for me last week when I had to do the my day job and and, and miss part of the the podcast. But you had a conversation last week about whose fault is it that the running game wasn't working, and you ranked the running back the failure of the running back position being number one and yeah. offensive line being at the end. Well, what's the other common denominator that from this game to the games where the running game worked? The offensive line played a hell of a lot better this week than they did in recent weeks. And so there, there were holes there. There was an ability to run there and it wasn't just Pacheco. I mean, I, you mentioned already, uh, as I always say, a running Mahomes is the best Mahomes, but so Mahomes had some nice runs. He had Kadarius Tony with a couple of spectacular runs and then, and then Pacheco. Yeah. He had, a, had a, he had a nice game there, but um, I, I'm still not sure that it, it wasn't also a, a much better game for the offensive line, namely Trey Smith. Trey Smith feels like the guy that makes the running game work. Trey Smith's having a good game. Whoever the running back is is going to have a good game. If he's not, then they're in trouble. And and he had a terrible game against the Titans, maybe the worst that I've seen from Trey Smith last week. And all of a sudden, Trey Smith is back playing more like himself this week. The rest of the offensive line performed, you know, up to par or, or up to yeah. maybe above their standard and and all of a sudden the running game works so i don't know if it's a chicken or the egg here but it, it was a uh it was nice to see some balance there for sure no it's a good point and and the key there is trey smith you're right he, he definitely had a much better game this game um you know definitely was paving the way a little more but i would argue too that pacheco had a much better game and, and this game you know reading kind of the blocks and, and actually setting up a couple of those runs early, especially, you saw him actually set up a linebacker to, to kind of, you know, lose leverage and, and, and be able to get by him by using a speed cut, by kind of hesitating in the space at first and then and breaking out. He, he was he was doing a lot better job of of not just running into wherever he was supposed to run into, but actually seeing where the linebackers were kind of making them mo- go one way and, and, and finding space the other. So I would argue that the running backs played a lot better than they have, uh, you know, in, in, in past games, too. But. I, it's hard to argue that the offensive line was, was much better. We saw the pass protection really good against Tennessee as well as, you know, against Jacksonville too. But mm. the run blocking was, was you're right. It was much noticeably there. But I, I do think, as you mentioned, you were the one who brought it up. Tennessee's, advan- you know, uh, defensive line, much more stout, much harder matchup against the run than Jacksonville's was, to be honest. The other thing to note is that the running backs in the passing game is also something that has been there. When this offense is at its best, they're thrown to the running backs as well. And this week you saw 10 targets to running backs, eight of those going to Jerick McKinnon, and he had a nice amount of success on those targets. Now two of those went to Clyde, and, and he didn't catch either one of them, but 
that aside, McKinnon had a pretty nice day. He's already established himself as the the pass protector, the third down guy, partially because of his ability to take a screen pass and get those five to ten yards that the team needs. But yeah, six catches, fifty six yards, nine point three average for a running back in the in the passing game and leading the team in targets this week. Shout out to Jerick McKinnon. You know, what's impressive too, to me, or maybe even surprising, I should say, is he's on the injury report this week, right? He's questionable for the game. With, and, with wait. Yeah, yeah. With, with a ridiculous array of, of ailments, right? Like, yeah. It, what, what was, was his list? It was injury? knee, shoulder, and ankle, I believe. I believe. And, and, and illness or something. Like, it was it was a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff. He had spleen. Like, he was, he was in trouble this week. And all of a sudden, yeah, he comes in there, and not only does he – lead the team in targets, one of the leading receivers. But as Brian Baldinger pointed out on Twitter, this dude's blocking like an offensive lineman at his size is unbelievable. So there's this play where they've got a blitzing defensive back, I think, and he was able to pick him up, pass him off to the to the tackle, and then pick up a, a defensive end. Like that's next level stuff for running back pass protection. That's not just getting in somebody's way. That is recognizing a stunt, picking up both ends of it, doing the handoffs like like an absolute pro. And he's been doing it for a while, and that's why you see him continue to get snaps and and most of the time get most of the snaps because he is so good on those pass downs because they love him not only you know again for the but for the pass protection. I mean, we talk about these tackles a little too much in this podcast for our liking sometimes. Well, guess who helps them quite a bit is McKinnon shipping really hard and pancaking a looping defensive. I mean, yeah, that was just a, a crazy play, honestly. I mean, I, I was very surprised to see that. You know, he's a powerful dude, but that's a big hit. So shout out McKinnon and, and, and just the pass protection in general. Mahomes had plenty of time to operate. And, you know, I do think there is some too, you know, offensive lines and pass protection. I think Mahomes even mentioned this. Offensive lines kind of gelling as the season goes because – training camp rules you know they don't get, they can't get as physical early Mahomes I think mentioned that in his post-game press conference I think you're maybe seeing the offensive line you know slowly but surely even and pass protection too kind of kind of kind of gelling as the season goes so it's cool to see it's good to see also good to see where some other unheralded guys in this game coming in and making a, a difference so there's um Colin Saunders first of all who is who's renamed himself or, or created something called <laughs> stuff nation. And he is the CEO of stuff nation uh, being the guy that he's the self-proclaimed. He is the run defense, according to Colin Saunders. But all of a sudden this guy can actually uh, make some plays in the pass, uh, the passing game as well. So he's out snapped the starting nose tackle for this team, Derek Nottie yes. this season only by a few snaps, but he's got nine pressures and three sacks where Nighty has one pressure, no sacks this year. We knew this wasn't a position where you're going to get a ton of pass rush, but I didn't expect to see Colin Saunders be this big a part of this off of this defense and to be this effective, especially in pass rush. I mean, there was a point where we thought he was going to be cut. So for him to be, you know, kind of the man at this point is, is yeah. uh, startling. It really is. No, he, he continues to make plays. It's it. You see the Colts game and you're like, okay, wow. Saunders flashes for a game. That's cool. You know, and then you see another game. You're like, oh, okay. It's been quite a few games now that he's, that he's piled up these, these games and, and he continues to flash. Those stats are telling right there. You mentioned with naughty, you know, I, I know Saunders plays more pass downs, right? Naughty's not going to be on a lot of pass downs, but those are, but, but they still played similar amount of pass down snaps in general. They have uh, just, and Saunders is usually put in those pass rush positions more favorably, but yeah, he's those, still producing way more. I mean, it's those just, numbers that I just gave were from Chiefs Hive on Twitter. Yes, those were yeah, pass yeah. play snaps specifically. So right, exactly. Pass play snaps only. One twenty eight for Saunders versus one nineteen for Nadi. Nine pressures, three sacks versus one pressure, no sacks. So that's that is apples to apples. You know, a direct comparison. And yeah, Nadi's never been known for his pass rush ability. But Saunders all of a sudden is more stout against the run and contributing against the pass. I mean, he's he's lined up lining up with the starters now. 
Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, Naughty is technically still the starter, but I Saunders is just a more impactful player. And, I, and I'm glad the Chiefs are recognizing that. It makes you a little sad, right? It makes you a little sad that Tershawn Wharton isn't around to really round out this room and really make it a very fun group of pass rushers. I mean, I know it, 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 they're, they're a pretty fun group right now, but Tershawn Wharton, Saunders, and Chris Jones in the interior is just wreaking havoc. So it, it could have been a really, it, you know, it's sad to see, you know, Wharton out there with. No, that's fair. But this week for them to have five, uh, five sacks, seven tackles for loss. I mean, this front right. is getting after it. And yeah, some of that's aided by blitzes, but a lot of that came from the front. I mean, Carlos Dunlap is getting in there. Chris Jones is having a all pro type season once again, and you're getting contributions from across the board. Colin Saunders. Um, we mentioned Carlos Dunlap, Carlos Dunlap, of course, and Willie Gay got a sack this week. Uh, you know, he's making his presence felt. And then some of the rookies getting in there too. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, first of all, just on Dunlap though, I, I did want to I shout this out. I did note this. Him and Saunders, Dunlap and Saunders are next behind Bolton, Gay, and Sneed on the, the Chiefs list of PFF stops, which are failures for the offense uh, you know, on a particular play. So Carlos Dunlap and Colin Saunders are basically making the most plays on the entire defensive side besides Bolton, Gay, and Sneed is basically what that's telling me. And that's pretty telling because the rotational pieces are not actual starters. Uh, I know Dunlap's had to start the last few weeks, but I mean, this, this defensive line is deep and we've been saying it all year, but it, it's really showing it more and more. And, and that's really what's important about the, this defensive line. And that starts in the, in that ends with not ends with, but it, it begins also with George Karloftis. I mean, he had the batted pass early in this game. He had another batted pass. He, he is now tied. And this is a stat of the week. I'm going to pull from a, a stat of the week. Uh, you know, the, the segment, he is now tied for the NFL lead with only one other player for batted down passes. He has five now. And he also has the most, he's tied with Aiden Hutchins for the most rookie pressures. George Karloftis is kind of just, racking up stats on a quiet, you know, not stats, I should say, but just impact on a quiet, you know, a little, little uh, pace. What do you think about Carl Loftus? Yeah. I, I tweeted out that that first batted pass of his was his best play of the season. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I was being a little facetious, but, but that, those are impactful plays. Batted passes are, are legitimate impact plays. He hasn't had the sacks yet, but getting some pressure, you know, obviously working his tail off and, and doing exactly what we thought he would do. Right. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I think he's he's part of this group that is that is making a difference on defense. And and you can see that even with Frank Clark out this week, those guys got after it across the front, across the linebacker group, and and all of a sudden you've got a defensive front seven that is formidable. So Carlofton is doing his part. Could we could we hope to see more later on from him? Sure, love to see him finish some some sacks, but to see him up there with Aiden Hutchinson in pressures as as far as rookies go, I think that's uh, you know you're definitely getting what you expected to get out of out of uh, George Karloftis. I'll say it that way. Right. Well, we got some other unsung heroes from this game on offense, and and how about Noah Gray stacks? How about Noah Gray these last couple of games? Honestly. Kind of putting together the best stretch of his career. Uh, is, is it fair to say that about Noah Gray tied in two? Is he tied in two? Is does he it's take? Did he take the best, it's a hundred percent the best stretch of his career. I don't know if he's he's approaching tight end two territory. I mean, okay. I think you when Blake Bell comes back, that's going to be fascinating to see because they love they love them some Blake Bell, but Noah Gray that catch last week was just epic. I mean, that yeah. was a, that was a real clutch thing of beauty uh for, from noah gray and then he had another nice catch this week and and uh, uh all of a sudden you've got a guy who is out there you know a couple catches a game that's what you can that's what you hope for from your second tight end you don't get a right. ton of direction out of that position but if he can be that threat that hey they forget about him and he's he's open downfield i mean that the again that play against the Titans was was going to be on his that's going to be on his career highlights no matter what he does the rest of his career so I, I I do think he's coming on this is the best two game stretch I've ever seen from him and uh, hopefully we'll see some more 
Yeah, and and he obviously had the the wheel route touchdown against uh, the Jaguars here this weekend, having that one reception touchdown. It was about twenty yards out, but that was that was wide open too, right? Yeah, and and it was, took advantage of of Kelsey kind of you know taking the safety with him. Smart play by Mahomes, but another receiver that that only had a touchdown this week, but but had a very big impact in this game with only one touchdown and and only another catch. I think he had three catches total. Marcos Valdez Scantling. Uh, we saw him have that touchdown. It was, it was a pretty open play as well. But how about that catch down the sideline late in the game? That was a pretty insane. That was catch. unbelievable. Uh, yeah, yeah that, was, that was essentially right. a, a one-handed diving back shoulder, like toe tapping. How do you even describe that? That was unbelievable. He, yeah, I mean, MVS had three catches for sixty yards, uh, a touchdown, and including that one big thirty-six yard play. This is the MVS that you pay for, right? This it's the guy that comes in. Maybe it's only every other game, but he's going to get you some plays that make a difference in the in the in the outcome of the game. Yeah, no, it, it is it is kind of funny. It's it's a pretty similar role to what he had in Green Bay. I mean, that that's he's a deep threat. You know, he he he. You saw on on one big Kelsey catch, he, he Marquez Valdez Scantling is running the deep post and taking entire wave of the defense with him taking both safeties with him leaving kelsey wide open on the other side of the field crossing um paths with him that's just what he does that's what he's good at it's what defenses kind of fear from him is him getting over the top and and making a big play down the field because he can make those kind of catches on the sideline as you saw on sunday he can make those tough catches so he's a vertical stretcher and and yeah it was it's what he did in green bay and Maybe he's not much more than that right now, but does he need to be much more than that? It doesn't really seem like it with the rest of the Chiefs' weapons working. Yeah, the Chiefs' offense has found a way, at least this week, to really use both scheme and and talent to get guys wide open. I mean, I haven't, I don't remember a lot of games this season where they've had as many guys completely wide open as they had this week. I mean, Kelsey had that one play where there yeah. was nobody around him. Kadarius Tony, who I know we'll talk more about, his first NFL touchdown was the most open play of any wide receiver this week in the NFL, and probably the most wide open he'll ever be for the rest of his career, no matter how long he plays. But it, you know that's that's a testament to both the offensive play design and the various skill sets that they brought together here, and they're starting to figure out ways to get them all involved and get guys open. Well, I have a stat of the week for you to get into to our stats of the week then. Um, that kind of fits into that because right now Mahomes is setting a career high in completions per game, completion percentage, and yards per game, which in my eyes kind of just tells you that he's as sufficient as he's ever been. He's spreading it out as, as he's ever been, you know, not and, and, and not sacrificing, you know, production, right? He's, he's not only, you know, completing more passes at a better rate, He's doing it more often, and he's and he's producing more than he was in, in the past. He's he's on pace to, I think, break the the passing yards record if if I'm not mistaken. Um, he is just on fire right now, and and it's just cool to see. And again, with all these weapons, all these changing parts. I mean, a guy that was an integral part of this game was brought onto the the offense two weeks ago. You know, I know it's you can give credit to Tony for that, and I know we're, we're, we'll we'll get to him, fellas. Don't worry. We'll, I want to talk Tony, but it's just so much credit to Mahomes for just being the MVP kind of quarterback he is. And, and he is a front runner right now. Um, and, and just being able to kind of just be this good while things are just moving all the way all around you and, and kind of shifting. Yeah, I know this. others have made this point, but the idea that you could have Tyreek Hill putting up the season that he's putting up and Mahomes be better than ever without Tyreek Hill right. only adds to that resume, to that case, for Patrick Mahomes to be the MVP once again this season, because if you can remove a 2000 yard receiver from your offense and have that offense, not miss a beat. And in some ways be better than ever, then there's no doubt on who the most important player on that team was. Yeah, no question. I mean, Stags, I don't know. We've been taught. We've been teasing Tony so much. I feel like we got to give the people some Kadarius Tony talk. In some way, I mean, Josh Hafner's cloud of unknowing on Twitter at Josh Hafner, he he, he puts it best, Stags. And I, I got a simple question: Who's the all-time most talented Chiefs wide receiver besides Kadarius Tony? Because apparently, <laughs> according to this weekend's performance, according to Kadarius Tony putting up 
80 total yards and, and a wide open touchdown. He is now the most talented Chiefs receiver of all time. No, that was a really fun performance from, from the newest Chiefs playmaker. And he's starting to really insert himself as, as, as a, uh, you know, a legitimate part of this offense. But I don't know, Stacks, you saw the different ways Tony got the ball, the different ways he was making plays. I mean, what what do you think about this guy that, you know, three weeks ago we had no we weren't even considering as any sort of part of the any, you know, this offense. And now he's he's how big of a role can he play, I guess, is maybe the real question. Well, first of all, don't shortchange the man. He had 90 total yards and a touchdown. There we go. OK, in his good. second game in this offense. And I think you saw just a taste of what he could be when he came in. Right. What was the conversation? This is a future move. Yeah. Not going to be much in 2022. He may cannibalize from McCole Hardman. He may cannibalize from, from Sky Moore's touches. Uh, well, we should have known that this was going to be a big week for him. With Sky Moore really struggling to get involved with the offense, McCole sitting this one out due to injury, we should have known that this would be a game where they got him more involved. But with the history of receivers coming into this offense, taking so much time, to get up and running, it is really a testament to his talent that he was able to do something this soon, this early on. It just goes to show you that the coaches look at him and they say, we have to find ways to get him the ball because good things are going to happen. And he has a nice feel for the game, right? So when you when you watch him play, yeah, the speed and quickness stand out. His start-stop ability is – second only maybe to Tyreek Hill in the NFL at this point. But he also has kind of a nice feel for, you know, where he is on the field, what's going on with the offense. That touchdown is a good example because he had the fake on the end around there, right? And I think he chipped a guy. So I think they faked to him. I think he went in and and chipped and then then rolled out. He has a a good – already a kind of a good feel with Mahomes on where he's going to be where the ball is going to be. And I think that that's something that you don't necessarily see this early on. And that sideline catch was unbelievable. First of all, it was a phenomenal throw by Mahomes, you know, in in a ridiculous position that he threw that ball in. There were two defenders there. Tony, I love the fact that they showed this, uh, the slow motion replay of that, where he's like, adjusting his gloves and getting ready like while running this route. That was a spectacular play, but it also showed his connection with Mahomes, his ability to, to high point the ball, to track the ball downfield. I mean, those are, that's some nuance to the position that says this guy is not just a track star. He's a football player. And for him to be this involved this early on, I I think it's, it's gotten me way more excited than I was last week about Kadarius Tony. Well, yeah, no, I, I think the point being made that, you know, the, the coaching staff's trying to get him the ball. We've seen this coaching staff try to get guys the ball, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean they turn into, you know, or they have, you know, big games like this. You know, Josh Gordon gave the Chiefs, you know, gave the Chiefs reason to get him the ball plenty last year. We never saw something like this. Tony and, is – go ahead. And I hate to say it, but I'm a big Sky Moore fan. I'm going to get this out. <laughs> but – They've tried to force the ball to Sky Moore this year, and it's resulted in more interceptions than it has receptions. So that, that is facts a, only. That's facts. It, it's 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 sad but true. Like yeah. you know, they will try to force the ball to a guy who who they see potential in, and it's up to that player to capitalize on it. Right. And, and Josh Gordon didn't, and and now he's on to the next uh, you know two teams since then, right? I mean, it, it's it's. Sky Moore still has a long way to go before we have to worry about his status in this league, but it does say a lot again, positive for Tony that they try to get him the ball early on and he makes the most of it. He has. And and, and we got a little more Tony talk on the way, but stags got to, we, we got to go to break and, and I got to, would you rather to leave the people with, because where the Chiefs are in a particular position, a uh, bittersweet position, you know, depending on what happens this Sunday coming up. The Chiefs are taking on the Chargers on Sunday night football, and they have a chance with the season sweep if they do win the game to take a four-game lead in the AFC West. And with that big lead, you know, with the AFC West wrapped up, there's potential that, or with the AFC West, 
but it's a, there's a potential the AFC West could be wrapped up with four games to go, Stags. My would you rather is would you rather have that be the case, the division wrapped up all in a bow, Christmas present under the tree, you know, by December 11th, or do you have to battle out a little bit, kind of make it, you know, maybe have to play, you know, a little harder down the stretch and maybe win it in week 17 or 18? That is my question, and we'll hit that on the other side of the break. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on the Out of Structure Podcast. Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. This is Matt Sagner with Ron Cobb Jr. We are actually coming to you live from the road this week. This is an away game for both Ron and I. I'm in a Marriott in Atlanta. Ron's out uh, near Vegas. But Ron's left us with a with a really interesting predicament in this would you rather that we had coming out of the break. Yeah, no, Stags, we're the Chiefs. You know, it, it's a good feeling and, and something I didn't mention when we were talking about, you know, all the the good vibes of, of what happened Sunday with, with Chiefs opponents and, and losing. It, it almost all feels good, you know, too good to be true and, and a little uneasy, you know, to, to a sense, uh, you know, kind of having stuff, you know, Mahomes, the MVP runner, a front runner so easily. And if the Chiefs again, if the Chiefs win this Sunday against the Chargers in L.A., not only do they sweep the season series 2-0, they would have a four-game lead. They'd have a three-game record advantage plus that tiebreaker, a four-game lead in the division with plenty of time left to go. But, you know, that's that gets into your head as a player. It gets into your head as a coach. And so, Stags, that's where I'm asking you. I, I just want your opinion. Would you, just as a fan, I, I think this is the, the fan's perspective is the best one here. Would you rather have that be the case where the division's wrapped up with a month to go or would you rather ha- them have to kind of maybe battle it out, you know, until later in the season to, to finally, you know, uh, get a division crown? So this is where our history as Chiefs fans comes into play because we've been burned before. We've yeah. seen Chiefs playoff teams that have limped into the playoffs after clinching early, um, teams that have gotten out to a hot start and then stumbled late and then made the playoffs and then exited really early. Even in the Mahomes era, you can see the year they won the Super Bowl, they went through a rough regular season with injuries and struggles. The year that they lost in the Super Bowl, they coasted through the regular season to you know the best record in the league. So you have mixed feelings there. On, on one hand, I think it's fun to have your team be the number one team in the league right now. That's why I was just rooting for the Washington Commanders of all teams because I was tired of hearing about the Philadelphia Eagles as a potentially being the number one team in the league just because they were undefeated. I was glad to see Buffalo lose. It puts Kansas City in a really nice spot. So I think I would rather see them go ahead and and get to the big lead and clinch um, because you've you've got a lot of talented teams in this league and the story all the offseason was about how difficult this this division was going to be, how difficult this league, you know, the AFC, the conference was going to be. For them to get the lead on Buffalo now, you know, you don't want to give that up. You don't want to you don't want to take a step back and then be, you know, at risk of losing that seed. So yeah, I want to see them go ahead and and blow out the charges this week and then get up. You know, get through this schedule, you know, more unscathed because they still have a lot to prove. They still have that boogeyman out there beyond the Bills. They still have, you know, the some other rivals like the Bengals up coming up on their schedule that were the nemesis last year. There's still plenty to play for. There's still going to be plenty of motivation. And this team is chasing history in a lot of ways, right? They're setting records Mm -hmm. just about every week. I think they're going to have plenty of motivation. But they also have so many young players that they're able to get involved and to to evolve in, in, in this league, in this team. So I think that there's an opportunity for this team 
to get out to that big lead in the division and then continue to develop their young players for that postseason run. So without having to worry about, you know, the, the schedule quite as much. So yeah, I'm all for running. Let's run out the score. Let's uh, let's make this the, you know, one of those record breaking seasons. Uh, I get the feeling that you'd rather see it be close though. Well, no, no. I think you're using the logical point of view. I, I think as a fan, I think we're, we're, there's some worry about, you know, having to wait all that time for a competitive game because it's all wrapped up for you. But no, I, I, I like the point about, you know, hey, Mahomes, Andy Reid, they've been there, right? I don't think you have to worry about them, like, you know, getting in a lull because you wrapped it up early. It's the young players, but you're getting them experience in maybe less pressurized moments. And, and maybe you get them more sma- snaps when you're up four games in division rather than one game in, in a certain game. Right. You know, maybe you, you know, yeah, maybe you just rotate them in more, you know, in, in those instances. But also but, now that there's only one buy, right. that, that number one seed is going to be something oh. they can play for the rest of the season. And it's really important because that's true. As yeah. you've seen, this team can have a bad week. Oh. And, and they could have a bad half. Mahomes can have a miserable half of football like he had last year against the Bengals, and all of a sudden the season's over. So the less they have to play in the playoffs, the better as far as I'm concerned. So that bye is going to be looming large and something that they've got uh, to compete for the rest of the season. Well, I'll put it like this. If, if they do beat the Chargers and they follow up by beating the Rams – the Bengals in Cincinnati, and then the Broncos in Denver. If they win all four of those games, they would have the AFC West wrapped up by December twelfth, which is <laughs> which is less than a month before the season, or you know, almost a month before the season ends. So we'll take it. Right. The only thing we'll take is your questions. Any Let's question, do it anytime. And, I, and we know we've got some great questions this week from Twitter. Uh, make sure you guys continue to submit those. We do appreciate it. Uh, Nobody submits more questions than our guy Jake Wilson at Jake for now on Twitter. He asked, KC's young defensive backs played so well again on Sunday. Has the trade of Fenton to Atlanta received too little attention? You know, I gave it probably more attention than more people were willing to uh, when it when it was happening. When when Jay Binkley had me on uh, 610 and, and even the AP radio, I was kind of pointing out that I wasn't very comfortable with them just kind of, you know, shipping away a, a veteran cornerback, you know, cornerback depth, um, you know, in a, in a contending season really for, 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 you know, for just cap space, which, yeah, you know, I do understand, Hey, you know, if that's, if it's important, but if they don't use that cap space and I don't quite get it, I will say it's nice to see the confidence in the rookie corners. You know, the only one that was having really a bad game on, on Sunday was Legereus Need. The, the rookies were all having pretty good games, obviously McDuffie and, and Joshua Williams. So, yeah, um, yeah, go ahead. I, I Yeah, go. No, I, I, I agree with the point that it shows confidence in the young players, and which is why I love the trade. From the yeah. minute it happened, I was like, let's go, because Fenton had struggled. He was the guy that teams were picking on, oh, yeah. and, and not the rookies. It was the veteran that they were picking on and having all kinds of success. So I, I, I thought it was a great sign for the development of the young guys. I thought it was a great opportunity to, to send a guy who was struggling, you know, out of town. And then now, and I think somebody else made this point, Legereus Sneed was the guy that was picked on in coverage this week. If teams think that Legereus Sneed is the weak link on this entire defense <laughs> – this is a really good defense because Snead is a phenomenal player overall. He had nearly had another sack this week. He's been a force in the run game. He's making plays all over the field. Sure, can you get him in coverage sometimes? Yeah, that happened this week several times. But if he's your weak link, you've got a damn good secondary. No, it's a good point. But I, I will say, you know, with explosive offense, dynamic offense with multiple receiving threats, I do think the Chiefs rookie cornerbacks, this is going to sound crazy, but the Chiefs rookie cornerbacks are playing well enough that offenses may want to put their best receivers in the slot and match them up with Snead because I do think McDuffie is sticky, is playing better coverage, it seems like, a lot of times. And, and I know Snead's, you know, in a lot of positions. Playing slot is a lot different than playing outside cornerback in coverage. So it's not the most favorable position, but 
man, Christian Kirk was was cooking Snead this Sunday, and, and that's where maybe it's just recency bias kicking in for me. But it, it was pretty bad on Sunday, I got to say. But Joshua Williams was really good this week. Yes, yes. McDuffie was phenomenal again this week. I, I think you've got nothing but upside with this young secondary. And, yeah, I was all for trading away Fenton at that point. How about Thomas Ramirez's question? Who impressed you the most yesterday? One each, offense, defense, and he says, I guess special teams, shake my head. (laughs) (laughs) So for him, he says, uh, Prince Tegan-Wanogo on on offense and Trent McDuffie on defense. But who are your guys, offense, defense, and special teams just for this week? Well, Kadarius Tony's offense, I think those three explosive plays he had really did, you know, catalyze the offense i know the run game helped but he, he was really the big explosion there on defense i said leo chanel shout out rookie linebacker leo chanel finally you know making some impact two big plays on his 11 snaps a sack and a tackle for loss and then shout out chris lamons or lamons however the heck you say his name i'm never going to get it right he knew that rule about you know uh once the the team touched it he can touch it and 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 it won't mean anything and and the other team obviously thought that there was a muff punt and it caused a touchback Shout out Chris Lammons for for Dave Toe probably. I mean, I know Dave Toe loves him. We all know that, but Dave Toe probably loved him even more after that. I mean, that dude's digging into the NFL playbook to to get that touchback. So shout out Chris Lammons. Well, I'm going to go with some obvious answers here, but the first one being Travis Kelsey. Um, yeah. Travis Kelsey's great every week, but this week he had the season long 46 yard reception. Um, he had another touchdown this week. He's having just a, another just all-world season, and it's great. It's just great to see him not slowing down at, right. at all at his age. He's just just so dominant. I also thought Willie Gay Jr. Was, was really good this week. He had a sack, a tackle for loss, a pass defended, plus led the team in tackles. Yep. Having him back on that defense makes a difference. You know, there's still always going to be debates about him and Bolton and different strengths and shortcomings of each, but Willie Gay Jr. I think is a, is a lot of the unsung hero about this defense that really makes it go in a lot of ways. So I, I was excited to see him obviously come back from his suspension a couple of weeks ago and then uh, continue to be a difference maker. On special teams, you know, Harrison Bucket. no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Kadarius Toney um, on special teams. And and obviously he was the impact player on offense, but it's nice to see him take over the punt returner job on special teams and really look like a competent punt returner. He didn't do a lot there, but I'm happy to see that that's a role that he's embraced early on, that the team has, has acknowledged early on that he can do. And I'm excited to see what he can do with that so in a rough game for the special teams you got to give it to somebody and i think just him taking over punt returner gives him the edge yeah i was gonna say yeah him just being back there if he even if he fair caught all of them or didn't even touch one of the balls i think is a special teams player of the week which it tells you how great the special teams was this week but uh yeah that that was rough (laughs) and I, i still don't understand why the special teams has been so bad yeah. this year, other than the fact that there was a big turnover in special teams players from last season to this season, yeah. the core of that unit really did flip. Now, I don't know that it was those guys that have been struggling, though. <laughs> it's it's been the kickers and the returners, the the you know the the uh, the very obvious players, not so much the coverage players. But mm-hmm. Jacksonville did have a big return this week, and they there has been some you know, lapses here and there in, in coverage. But um, how about Casey Cordray's question? How will the Chiefs replace Juju's production with his potential injury? As you'll remember, Juju was the uh, victim of a pretty nasty helmet-to-helmet hit that looked like it knocked him out entirely. He's in the concussion protocol. MVS got hit by the same player in the same manner. Uh, and the Chiefs have another player, I Lamons, I think, in the concussion protocol this week. Juju sounds like he's okay, but if he yeah. misses a week, what do they do? Yeah, so it's it's 
you know, it's funny. We just talk about Tony kind of replacing what, you know, a lot of some of the McColl can do. And he did this week, right? You know, Tony kind of filled in for him. Well, I think a lot of what Tony excels at is what they like to do with Juju too. A lot of these slants, a lot of these, you know, uh, short catches, catch him, you know, make him catch it with, with yards to gain after, right? You know, on the run, you know, over the middle on crossers, um, you know, short to intermediate, um, not necessarily anything deep. Um, yeah, I, I think Tony is actually the best the best fit for what they've been what Juju's been excelling at a lot of. Um, but if McColl's not playing, you know, and I think McColl will, right? If it was just an abdomen thing, he was kind of he didn't practice all week, which I guess makes it hard to know exactly what's going to happen there. But if they're both out, that's when it's interesting. That's where Sky Moore really has to step up and 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 play a part in this because Tony can't fill in both roles, although they will sure try and and maybe that's. Maybe that's how Tony all of a sudden becomes the Chiefs wide receiver one. I mean, oh my gosh, who knows what he could do with 10, 15 targets. Yeah, it's it's interesting because they're not there's nobody else on the team that's the same player as Juju Smith Schuster. Exactly. They're gonna do it in different ways if he's not in there. I think you know they're gonna try Justin Watson's gonna continue to get a ton of snaps. They're gonna try forcing the ball his way. I would like to see Jody Fortson get more involved in the offense. I still Ooh, think yes. that there's a lot more that he can give than what he has done. He can give you some of that underneath stuff, some of that big, you know, almost tight end type production. Um, but yeah, it, at some point it's going to be Sky Moore's time. And what Sky Moore can do, yeah, can you can you send Sky Moore on a quick slant? You should I, be I able to. Can, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so eventually it's going to be his time. He's going to bring some production. I honestly don't expect Juju to miss that much time. Um, maybe he misses this week, but cause it looked bad at the time, but it sounds like he was, he was in good, good shape afterwards. So he'll get through the protocols. It may take him a few days. He may not practice a lot this week, but watch him towards the end of the week. If he's back in practice by, you know, Thursday, then, he's probably going to play and he'll, he'll be fine. But the question of the day for a lot of people is Brian's question here at Brian, the Nelson on Twitter is Clyde Edwards, Alaire done as the number one back in this offense, considering how little he played against the Jags. Brian says, I would think so. You also had Kyle Gambler ask, could we see more special teams snaps for, for Clyde? Because his offensive usage has ceased, I'm not laughing at, at Kyle there, but I, I that's a uh, just such a, a a crazy thought for me that your former first round running back is is going to be a special teamer all of a sudden. Uh, T. Koopa Loop also asked about Clyde being effectively benched. So, what are your thoughts on Clyde, given his very very limited usage this week? He got. Two targets, no catches, no uh, – he took no handoffs and was only in for, uh, what, four snaps? Four, yeah, four snaps, yeah. Four total snaps. Right. Yeah, it's tough to see, first of all, because, I, you know, I like Clyde. I, I think it's it's been exciting to see him kind of grow as a player this year, we thought, in the receiving game. Uh, we thought we were, we were getting somewhere with that. But uh, I really think what you're seeing here is is, is the Chiefs just really, really – starving for explosive plays however they can get it and i and and one thing i criticized maybe a little bit with the uh, with eric b what he was saying uh last week about the run game you know he was saying we need to just run the ball more he basically is, is what he said and maybe i misinterpreted what he said maybe what he was saying is we need to run the same person more with the ball and that's where it just i feel like clyde just might have been the sacrificial lamb for we need to get someone going get someone in a rhythm. I do think Pacheco is a more explosive back. So I think that's where his skills, the chiefs are just kind of forcing the issue a little more like, Hey, we need some explosion. If Pacheco, yeah, maybe there's going to be some bad carries, some, some lesser carries than Clyde because of, you know, not being in the league as much vision, blah, blah, blah. But there's also going to be better carries because he has that explosion that Clyde doesn't have. I think that is the main thing. And it sucks because Jerick McKinnon is so good on the pass downs. Where does Clyde fit in all of a sudden? That's where it's hard. That's where I don't really know. He's not going to play special teams people. He is a, he is a fine running back that they're going to use. I think this game specifically, they really wanted to get Pacheco rolling. 
it is hard though about the McKinnon stuff, man, the pass game. Cause like we mentioned earlier, he's banged up, right? Isn't this a good opportunity for Clyde to play a lot more of those pass down back or pass downs? That's where it's just like, it is kind of, it, it is weird, man. It's a weird situation. Stags. What are you feeling like? Yeah. I feel like it's just a, a case of the hot hand and the game plan, right? Like it's yeah. It, Andy Reed will never say otherwise, but obviously he went out of his way this week to say it wasn't, on purpose that we that Clyde didn't touch the ball. It just just how it happened yeah, in yeah. the flow of this game. You know, I think they certainly do want to get Pacheco involved. I do think there's some excitement around what he can be. And I think you're right. I, this offense works when they're getting explosive plays from from across the board. And I think if you've got a running game that's running into a wall like they did last week against Tennessee, then then maybe you say forget it. Let's uh, let's go with you know let's let's try to find somebody who can break one here and there as, as opposed to grinding out the tough yards, and, and I, maybe it's also has something to do with the offensive line. I'm going to keep going back to this point, but there is something to be said about the synergy between an offensive line and a running back, and this happened. This talked a lot about. Remember Le'Veon Bell in his heyday. What was the characteristic that, that made him so unique is that he had that that really patient style, that hesitation that, you know, was maddening to watch because he would just stop and stand there and then take off, you know, and and it worked with the with the offensive line he had, but then when he tried to do it elsewhere with a different offensive line, when he tried to come here behind the Chiefs offensive line. He didn't have that those kind of openings. Yeah, he didn't have it. Didn't work that way. The longer he hesitated, the more chance he had of being taken down in the backfield. Clyde has a little bit of that that patient, shifty style about him, where his instinct maybe isn't always to just run straight ahead as fast as he can. If this team is struggling to block for their running backs, you might want to go with the guy who's who they don't have to sustain their blocks for quite as long. Yeah. yeah. Maybe somebody who doesn't need quite as big of a hole to run through. So I I think it's, it's a lot of things, but I don't think Clyde is done. I don't think you've seen the last of him as a productive back in Kansas city. I don't think you've even seen the last of him as a productive back in Kansas city this season, because I think there's going to be games where they call his number. This just was not one of those. No, it wasn't. No, it it, it wasn't. Clyde is is definitely it, he's is in a weird spot, but you know he's he's the kind of guy that I imagine stays positive, and 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 that's just the running back group. I mean, that's just a running back position. I mean, how many times you just you know yeah you you rotate out, one guy gets hurt, all of a sudden you're the guy who gets counted on again, and you make a you know you have a great game because that's just how it goes. So I'd definitely rather have Clyde as your, as your third back, you know, out of the rotation rather than some you know some other random back that you know you know it's a good spot for the chiefs to be in it's a (laughs) good problem to have i guess is the way to put it yeah and for all the people who thought that this was going to be a ronald jones week all of a sudden that those those hopes were dashed about an hour and a half prior to game time as they have been every game so far this season um here's another question from jackson at jackson mi1 forward on twitter thoughts on prince tega wanogo's performance in place of Andrew Wiley. So Wiley went out this week with an elbow injury. They're still calling it a sprain. They don't know exactly what's going on yet, I'm sure. But it seemed like PTW stepped in and and played pretty well. Yeah, you know, I I think the best compliment I can give is that we, I didn't notice him or or he wasn't very noticeable. There was one play and and I'll give you credit. uh, You were the one who actually reminded me of it. It was a Michael Burton stop, right? The run stuff. He might have been the one that to maybe uh, get beat on the block there, but you know, outside of that, you know, I I do think I I, I did rewatch. I, I'm not all the way through my rewatch, so a lot of the game is of what I've watched so far is what Wiley was doing. I only got a little into what Prince was doing, and what I will say is Wiley a lot of times was was having struggles, and it was noticeable, and and he was really the weak link of the the, the pass protection um, with the pocket collapsing a lot of the times. And he was just having a hard time dealing with like a Trayvon Walker strength, you know, a really big dude. But, you know, I just on, on the raw watch, I did not notice Prince. Say, you know, I did not notice that 
being a, a, a problem, I guess, you know, after that. So I, I do think there is some chance that there was just a little more stability. You know, I think Wiley is a kind of a, you know, up and down player a little bit, you know, he's not the strongest dude. So I think if he doesn't have the greatest start to a rep, sometimes it can get really bad. And if, and if he gets kind of a, a step on somebody, it can be a good rep. But uh, I, you know, I, I thought I, I thought I saw some good things from Prince. So shout out to him. I, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a. Uh, there's no reason why right tackle shouldn't be a, a, an open competition to an extent. So I, you know, maybe yeah. this gives him a little bit of a leeway. But what? Who would have prior to this season or even prior to this game have thought that Prince Tegawanogo's name was going to be in that competition? We talked about Darren Kennard from the day he was drafted. Right. About Lucas Niang coming back eventually. All of a sudden, you've got this guy who's been on the roster for what it seems like forever and has never really played that much for him. Always been a high-potential guy with a good athletic profile from a good program in college, known as being a project, right? Uh, but Prince Tega has, uh, he, you know, he showed up this week. And now all of a sudden, if Andrew Wiley has to miss more than one game, you got to think that he's earned at least one more start. And then, yeah. you know, there's still Lucas Niang's eventual return looming. I think that Niang is probably the best right tackle on this roster if he's healthy. But it, there's no sure things left at this point. This offensive line needs to be playing their best. And so if that means that, you know, Prince Tega, Prince Wally Pipps, Andrew Wiley and and takes over and and uh, uh, you know Wiley never from here on out is the sixth man on that line. Then good, great, it worked. Yeah, I I think there is something to 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 mention that you know Prince Aguinaldo was, was a career left tackle at Auburn has, has been a left tackle. I think they've it's it's really been something that I think he's been mostly a left tackle and to get thrown in the middle of a game at right tackle after. You know, I know he practices both. That's what the Chiefs do. They practice these guys at all these positions. I get that. But, you know, to, to maybe, you know, to a lot of your game snaps, in, you know, in college and NFL were, were left tackle. Maybe maybe getting a little more prep at the right tackle position. You know, maybe he's even he's even more comfortable the next time we see him. So I'm excited. Maybe we get to see a little more of him. Or, or maybe he struggles this coming week against San Diego, or against L.A. Chargers. I keep Ooh. going San Diego. The Chargers have a mean pass rush. It's going to yeah. be a tough matchup for him. Uh, you know, if if he's playing this week, we may have an entirely different conversation after this. Um, we'll get to that LA game here in just a second. But one last question from Giovanni at Mr. Gio underscore Van on Twitter. With the way the Chiefs defensive line performed on Sunday, do you think Spags should sit Frank Clark when he comes back? from suspension that's a that's a pretty wild uh you know i don't know to to go from you know the the defensive line having a pretty good day to, to frank clark not not playing at all is is a pretty good stretch but uh i it's a it's a, a question that is asked because of how impressive defensive line is so i guess i'll take that as a compliment no frank clark had his best game uh, of the season and maybe in a few years uh you know the last time we saw him in san francisco against a formidable offensive line you know i don't think i you know i, I may, maybe 49ers i'm giving them a little too much credit for how good their offensive line is but he did beat trent williams on that one sack so so that that's a big deal and uh i just think with the rest of the groups of playing the depth we're seeing from this d line you know guys like dunlap and Karloff is contributing you know these last couple of weeks have been contributing they've been making plays as those first and second guys now they get to bump down a, a, a tick and be the second and third guys and it just, it just kind of makes it easier on everybody, right? And I think that's the main point. This team doesn't have the premier edge rush talent, but they got a nice rotational group that's going to keep each other fresh, and, and, and they make plays. They, they just happen to make plays. They each kind of make them in their own different way, and, and, and Frank, he makes them. He, he's made them these past, you know, in, in, in recent weeks. So uh, I'm excited to see him back on the field. Yeah, uh, more depth is a, is a very good thing for this front. And Spagnolo is a guy that likes to have a deep rotation, especially at the pass rusher positions, uh, but across the front as well. So, no, I, I think Fra Frank Clark immediately retains his job, but you know maybe he sees forty-five percent of the snaps instead of seventy percent of the snaps, or you know whatever the the mix. If you can continue to have that healthy rotation, 
Mike Dana, I think, gives you some really good snaps this year. Oh, yeah. Carlottis has been solid. I think you're getting some some really good play out of Carlos Dunlop this this season. And he's looking like a really nice free agent signing, you know, for that extra yeah. veteran that they have to get every year. So yeah, I think having a good rotation is a big positive. They're gonna need every bit of that rotation down the stretch at some point. So there's no reason to shortchange Frank or anybody else. Keep the rotation going, make it deeper than ever. You know, maybe it, it hurts Malik Herring's development or, <laughs> or uh, Josh Kendo, but having that that deep rotation uh, with Frank up at the top can only be a positive. It's it's easy to forget about Dana. It's easy to forget about Mike Dana, man. He is he is a nice fourth guy to have on your edge rush list, man. It's it it is really it is a really deep group. Well, let's take a quick look ahead. I know other podcasts will cover this more in depth, but we always like to take a quick look at the upcoming game. Uh, as you'll be listening to this on a Tuesday, we're heading into Chargers Week. This is really just to set the stage. This is a massive game. You know, we talk about the the opportunity for the Chiefs to clinch the division early in this season. This is one of those games where you can dictate the flow of the rest of the season or at least the feeling, the tenor of the rest of the season this coming week because if they go out and dominate the Chargers, this division race is over. They're in the driver's seat for the number one seed. They're top of everybody's power rankings. Mahomes is MVP. It is a you know it is a great time to be a Chiefs fan. If they turn around and lose this game, and maybe Buffalo wins this week, we're having an entirely different conversation this time next week. So this is a game where a lot swings, even though it may seem like everything's wrapped up. Yeah. What do you see from this matchup this time around uh, that may be different from last time they played, or uh, just from a perspective of what do you expect to see this coming week? There's plenty different from the last time, um, and it's mostly injury related. Uh, and and unfortunately, you know, I it's crazy how we just say it every year that you know this is a it's a talented team that just has too many injuries, and it, it really is the case. I mean, last time we saw the Chargers, they still had Rashawn Slater, who is now on the IR. Last time we saw the Chargers, they had Joey Bosa, who was placed on the IR in recent weeks. Last time we saw the Chargers, they did have J.C. Jackson, who. You know, some people may say wasn't, you know, doing much for him. He actually kind of was the one who got burned on the Justin Watson touchdown. Um, he's He was their big money signing cornerback free agent. They're they're having other injuries too. Keenan Allen, you know, he, he he is banged up still currently. Mike Williams has missed recent games. Trey Pipkins, their starting right tackle, is missing games. I mean, it really is insane. And and it's a, it's a long list. And that's why they've been losing games. I mean, Justin Herbert cannot, you know, he, he, he's a good quarterback. He, he, he definitely did not have the greatest game on Sunday night against the Niners, but that's a really good defense. And he doesn't have anyone to throw to anymore. He doesn't have anyone protecting him. I mean, it is, it is wild. Is there a um, tougher job or a hotter seat in the NFL than the Chargers training staff? Well, I, I don't know if they're keeping the same one over and over or if they just keep rehiring and they just have this cloud of curse over them because – it is insane, and uh, it, it really is going to impact this game. And, you know, it's no excuse. I know, you know, it's a division game, and these two teams know each other very well. These coaching staffs know each other. I do think it's a competitive game either way. Mm-hmm. I, think this, I think this defense knows how to give the Chiefs trouble. We saw that in the, in the, in the first matchup. Obviously, they don't have Joey Bosa this time potentially. I'm not sure about Bosa, honestly. Off the top of my head, I think he's going to be out, but he could maybe be in the works of coming back. I'm not sure, but – I think the Chargers defense knows knows how to give the Chiefs offense trouble, and you know I I think the Chiefs defense probably handle, can handle the Chargers offense, but they still have Austin Eckler, they still have Justin Herbert throwing the ball, so they can still do some stuff on offense. Yeah, it looks like last I saw, Joey Bosa was close to returning from practice, okay. <laughs> returning okay. to practice uh, after being on IR since September. Um, He's back in the building, but does that mean he's going to be ready to go and at full strength this week? You know, probably not. And the Chiefs offensive line, you know, at least this week is playing better than they were last time the two teams faced each other. Uh, Kadarius Toney looks like a a possible difference maker. Trent McDuffie's back. I mean, I think there's there's a lot you can say that may swing in the Chiefs' favor, but this is a division game 
in prime time against the only other team that has any chance of winning the AFC West. And so you can't expect anything but a close game where just literally anything could happen. Yeah, that's how I'm feeling too. It's it's a Sunday night game. There's going to be plenty of Chiefs fans in LA. I'm not worried about that at all. But, uh, you know, I, I do think there might be some there's always, I, you know, I, I probably say it every week at this point, but some a little desperation energy from the Chiefs opponent, you know, kind of back against the wall. Hey, you know, we win this game. We still have a chance for the division. If we lose this game, we're completely out of it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's a close game here. Looking forward to that, and hopefully we're back next week talking about another Chiefs victory and a division and an AFC that is nearing wrapped up. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, it's been a, a good time, as always, talking with you. Thank you for spending your time with us on the Airhead Pride Podcast Network. Make sure you're rating and reviewing and, and listening and tuning in and checking out the website for all Ron's content and, and the rest of the team. Uh, there's a constant stream of great stuff coming out of this Arrowhead Pride team. Uh, so we look forward to next week. And make sure you submit your questions and come back with us next week on the Out of Structure Podcast. I'm Matt Stagner for Ron Cobb Jr. Thank you again. We'll talk to you next week. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.